0: Jerusalem, and uh, they were on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said, uh, go wait for the Holy Spirit to come. The Holy Spirit came, we talked about that. Um, They started proclaiming in the languages of all those who were in Jerusalem at the time, celebrating Pentecost, and now as we think about Pentecost, it has a second meaning, uh, a filling of the Spirit, a giving of this gift that Jesus promised, the Counselor who would come when I am gone, and he has come. And today we pick up in the second chapter of Acts. We're going to begin in verse 42. Now, before I start, I want to remind you of something that I've been, you know, mentioning every so often here in the last couple uh, weeks, and that's that there's nine Fridays until Christmas. Can you believe it? Nine Fridays until Christmas. That's 63 shopping days from today till Christmas, just, you know, to add a little stress to the rest of your day as you think about that. But you know, Christmas isn't supposed to be about stress and pressure and worrying about all of that stuff, is it? There's a, there's another reason why we celebrate Christmas. This isn't, it isn't about gifts and, and toys and all of that stuff, although it has become that to a certain degree. Christmas is a time when we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And it is a very similar event to Pentecost and to what we're studying right now in the book of Acts because what we're studying right now is the birth of the church, of of the instrument that God chose to use to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the rest of the world. Now, of course, if Jesus doesn't act and move on earth as he did, there wouldn't be any need for the church in the first place. And of course, Christmas was sort of the actual physical beginning of that as we celebrate Christmas. Um, And and the way Jesus Christ came into the world and the way that God works is radically different than any other religion, any other philosophy. You know, the, the song that we just sang, the the, the chorus, we, we talked about how we want to be empty, how, how we really want, how really the most important thing is Jesus, not so much the things and, and stuff that we have. That's the gist of that last song that we just sang. And how often is that not true for us? I mean, the words that we just sang, how often are those not really true for us? And it's a good reminder this morning, I think to sing those words and to speak them and to think about them. I mean, God came, uh, Jesus came with amazing grace and mercy and, and eventually with incredible power. Though initially he came quietly and humbly, the way that he came and what he did transformed and changed the universe. That's why we meet here on a Sunday morning. That's why we meet on Wednesday nights. That's why, why we attend prayer meetings and we engage ourselves in, in, in the active living out of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, these differences, later in the first century, these differences of, of philosophy and things, uh, later in the first century were what made followers of Jesus Christ radical too. Uh, in fact, the early Christ followers were so incredibly different than the people that they lived around and lived with um, that that it began changing the culture. So I want to answer two questions this morning. Um, the first one is this. What made them so radically different? What, what made the followers of Jesus Christ in the first century so radically different? What, what was the difference? And then, secondly, what made them that way? How did they get... To be that way, and actually I'm going to answer the second question first, and then uh, we're going to look at the first question. The, because the culture sure noticed. I mean, more than 3,000 people were added to their number when Peter gave his first message. There was something radically different about what people were hearing, and what they were seeing, and what they were experiencing, and the church continued to explode all across the land. And leaders, leaders were saying, ah, this social thing, all of this change, blah, blah, blah. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a flash in the pan. And it's going to disappear as quickly as it came onto the scene. And we don't really have to worry about it. And what did it do? It absolutely transformed cultures and Nations. In fact, it grew to the point where it actually displaced the older Greco-Roman empire and the culture itself. It even displaced their way of thinking. And it was that powerful. It was that powerful. Why? Um, it was because the first Christians, and as they grew the Christian community, they were attractively different. I want you to write that down in your, on your note sheets. They were attractively different different, attractively different. So turn to Acts 2, if you haven't already, verse 42. Now this is the most famous description of the first century church, of the early church that we have anywhere. It's Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, a a description of the pre-Christian church. And as we've been talking all along, we are in the post-Christian church, so to speak, And now, I think, could also be a description of the post-Christian church. Some would say, oh, this is idyllic. There's no way. There's no way that we could live like they did then in our culture today. And I say baloney. We only say that because we want to justify or give excuse to not change, not be obedient, not follow completely. So I want to start with one word this morning. Let, uh, let me read the first verse, actually, Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. One word. The, the word this morning is devoted. Write that in your notes. Devoted, under there, underneath the, uh, the introduction. That's the word. That was the powerful difference that people saw in these first Christians the these early Christians in the first century now the, the word devoted means to give something away you know uh, initially i think you probably your mind went to commitment But it it means that we give something away. The Bible often mentions devoted things. In the Old Testament, in the temple, they had things called the devoted things. And, And the devoted things were things that people sacrificed that they gave up for and to the temple as God commanded them to. And they were referred to as the devoted things. So if we think about it in that way, it's our... In our current vernacular, one might say that they were sold out in a good way. Sometimes people say, "Wow, well, he sold out. That's not, I'm not talking about that sort of inflection. I'm saying, no, he was sold out. He was totally committed. He gave whatever it took. He sacrificed whatever he had to sacrifice in order to make that happen. And you know what that's like. We do that every day. You know, you get some idea in your head. You, you get a want. You want something. It could be a new truck, it could be a new house, um, it it could be something else. You want something. And what happens in your life? You begin to restructure everything that you think and that you do and that you value around that one thing. It becomes a priority. You become devoted to get that, whatever it is. And you you begin sacrificing things for it. And and that's exactly what we see here in this word devoted. They devoted themselves. They gave themselves away. Now Jesus did the same thing, didn't he? From the very beginning, Jesus was devoted to us in that he gave up lots of things for you and for me. Think about the first Christmas. The birth of Christ what he had to give up—his place in heaven, his 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 power, his his uh, everywhereness—and and, and confine himself to the body of a human being. What a sacrifice! What a sacrifice for a goal that he had. He was devoted to reconciling to to reconciling mankind to God because we had been separated from Him. First, he gave away his place in heaven. He gave. He gave away, for a time, I, I think his power. I don't know what kind of power he had as a little boy. I don't know how all of that works. Um, when he took on our sin, he gave up his purity. He took on the sins of the world. He became sin on our behalf, Scripture says. What a sacrifice. What a commitment. What a devotion to us he devoted himself to and for us and we in turn at the call of god on our lives we devote ourselves to him we devote ourselves to him we surrender completely all that we know and all that we have in the moment to him as our lord as our savior as our messiah our savior that's what the three thousand did and then they were baptized There's this thing, and and they received it. And then, as they continued to experience that, they began the giving of themselves away in an attractively different way that they were living before. It was a living and breathing manifestation of the power of the Holy Spirit in their Lives, in fact, that's the only way it could happen. Our natural bent as a human being is toward selfishness. It's toward pride. It's toward arrogance. It's toward, toward our, you know, it's, it's the me monster. It's, it's I want this and I want that. And, and, but, but yet there's this power in and around us that's the Holy Spirit that, that when we surrender to it moves us in the direction of being attractively different. And as we do, as we are, as we change, as our life transforms, people notice. People notice. Now, White House Chief of Staff and former Military General John Kelly made some comments to the press this weekend. And, and what he closed with struck me as it relates to what we're talking about here this morning. So I found it and I, I wanted to, to directly quote him. This is what he said in talking about the men and women that have given... Um, to military service. He's, he says this. He was, he, was talk to, he was talking about the sanctity of honor and sacrifice. And this is what he says. As I walk off the stage, understand there's tens of thousands of American kids mostly doing the nation's bidding all around the world. These young people today, they don't do it for any other reason than their sense of selfless devotion to this country. And that word devotion, as I've been thinking about it this week, struck a chord. Selfless devotion. The giving of themselves. The giving of themselves. On behalf of our nation. That's exactly what the early Christians were doing, but not on behalf of our nation. They were giving of themselves selflessly to Jesus Christ and what followed after that. Now Luke mentions four foundational areas that they gave themselves to right here. He says they sacrificed for these. They were devoted for these things. The first thing they were devoted to was the apostles' teaching. To teaching. The apostles' teaching, it says, teach them to obey everything that I have commanded. Jesus said to them in Matthew chapter 28 before he ascended into heaven. And that's exactly what the disciples and the apostles and all of those who continued to follow were doing. And they gave themselves to it. They sacrifice time for us. We, we sacrifice time on a Sunday morning to come and to hear and to learn. We are devoted in that way. We sacrifice for that. And, and we have that teaching. We have the apostles' teaching right here. They recorded it. And it says that God added to their number daily. I mean, it transformed them into attractively different people. The the second thing that they were devoted to was it says that they gave themselves to fellowship. They sacrificed for fellowship. They were devoted to it. What does that look like in our lives? Well, the Greek word here translated fellowship is koinonia, which means communion, joint participation, the share which one has in anything. Togetherness. They gave themselves to be apart. I mean, in many ways, we do that by getting up on a Sunday morning and saying, I'm going to church, and we give up again time to be apart, to be together in fellowship. Now, man, do we live busy lives? Don't we? I mean, stacked from morning to night fitting in whatever else we can. Somebody calls and says, hey, can we get together? And you look at your, your, your schedule and you go, ah, I got, I got 1230 to like one or 230. Yeah, sure, we can get together. Um, or maybe if, if we're not careful, we can be so busy ourselves, we can busy ourselves right out of people's lives. You know, we we can come and go and come and go and come and go and come and go and people can observe this and they can begin to get the impression that, you know, well, you must be a really important person because you're coming and going and you're coming and going and and, and they don't want to infringe upon you because you just just come and go. You come and go, you come and go. So they just sort of step back. They don't ask for anything. They don't engage in conversation because they don't want to interrupt your busy life. And as that busy person, we have just busied ourselves onto an island. Now, not a literal island, of course, but to aloneness. Even when we are living in the same house with our family, we can do this. I mean, I experience this in, I've experienced this a lot. The one that I'm willing to tell you about, <laughs> this morning at least, is a time when I was in college. I was living with three other guys in this house. I love to drive by this house. In Laramie, because there's lots of fond memories of this house, uh, we had a great time. Uh, three other three other friends, leaders in Intervarsity Christian Fellowship, uh, we lived together in this house. Well, during this particular semester, I had two jobs and a full slate of classes. Uh, I got up early in the morning because one of my jobs required me to inspect the heating system of the First National Bank building in Laramie. That was part of my duties as I was actually working for an accountant, um, but she said that her maintenance man quit because she managed the building and she needed somebody. Well, of course, you know. Okay, sure, I'll do it. So I left the house early, and I would always come and return to the house late at night. And uh, I did this for weeks, actually months, and then finally, one of my roommates he says, "Hey, David, we need to have a con- we need to have a talk. Maybe you should sit down." Okay, so I sat down, and he said, "You know, the other guys and I, we've been talking about this, and..." Um, well, you know, we, when we signed up for this roommate business, you know, we didn't just want you know roommates, other people to share in the expenses of living. Uh, we wanted, uh, we wanted to be a family. We wanted fellowship. We wanted communion with each other. You know, we, we want to eat. We, we want you to to eat meals with us like you used to, and different things. So this is what he said. He looked at me, and he said, "You have two options." This is almost word for word. You can quit one of your jobs or you can move out. That's how important fellowship was to them and that I be a part of the fellowship. And you know what I did? I quit one of my jobs. Because it was that important to me too. But how often do we get so involved in ourselves, in our busy lives, and our busy schedules, that we don't even realize, we don't even acknowledge that we have become an island in and of ourselves. And it's not necessarily that we wouldn't be willing to sacrifice things. We're just, we can just be completely unaware and selfish. And, and you know, I, I had options. I could have punched him in the mouth. I could have moved out and said, fine, I'm going to live my life the way I want to. I don't have to submit to you and those other two guys. But the depth of a relationship that we had and the fellowship that we had, that was my decision. I'll quit a job. I'll quit a job because I was devoted to those guys. Do you have things that are in the way of your devotion to to other people? Um, all right. Do you have things that are in the way of fellowship? Maybe, maybe that's a small group or a family that you have and there's things in the way. Maybe, maybe that's this family of people. Maybe you're listening online or you're watching on Facebook, um, which is good, but you've gotten into the habit of doing that only, and you're hearing me say this today, in place of taking the time and being devoted to come here and, and see people face to face and sacrifice some time to be a part of the fellowship. Maybe even your devotion to your fellowship with God has slipped. Maybe it's devotion to the apostles' teaching. So there's devotion to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, and they were also devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, there's two possibilities here. The first is the actual ordinance of celebrating the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, as we do once a month on the first Sunday throughout the course of the year where we have the bread and the cup and we partake Just as Jesus said that we were to do till the very end of the age, until he were to return again, we were to celebrate and do this. And then there's the other part of that breaking of bread, which is simply having meals together. This was huge in in their culture. And and they would would enjoy, I mean, you know what it's like to sit down over a meal, and and just, whether it's with with family, an extended family, or or with its others, you know, maybe it's around a campfire, you're in the mountains. I mean, f- remember those times and those moments and how, how special they are and, and the conversations that you had. And, and sometimes you would, you, would, you would delve into deeper and more intimate things and conversations because, because of this common gathering together. Somebody might say, man, how's it going? And you might say, oh, not so well, or wow, really great. I mean, this happened, and then this happened. How often do we really get to that in in everyday life? And and many times it takes a meal to sit down to and just, let's talk. Or we decide after church we're going to run to McDonald's and have lunch, and then we go do our own thing, right? I mean, but that's what it takes, isn't it? It takes sacrifice. It takes, it takes devotion. It takes, it takes time. It takes time to enjoy and experience intimacy in life with other people, connections with others, and that's important. That's a foundation. And, and then it says uh, that they were devoted to prayer. I mean, we're commanded to pray. Jesus says that we're to cast all of our cares on him, and prayer is one of the ways in which we do that. We're also told that we do not receive because we don't ask. Prayer is our communication line with God the Father it, it isn 't something that we should just of course only engage ourselves in when there 's trouble, which is kind of a default for us isn 't it interesting we life 's just going great and we 're we're, we're rolling along and something comes up it 's a, a, a financial struggle or a, or a relational struggle or or whatever some sort of conflict and Oftentimes, our first response, which is good, is to go to prayer. But when life is good and easy and it's kind of rolling along and and, and we can get wrapped up in ourselves and we can forget to pray. They were devoted even in their prayer. Um, We are to persist. We are to sacrifice ourselves unto prayer. Take the time to make the effort to get into the groove. I mean, prayer has to be a part of our everyday life, or, or, or that connection is often lost. It's, it's like a lifeline. It's like a set of jumper cables, so to speak. You know, it's a place and time when the power of the Holy Spirit is charged into us. It's a time when we open our hearts and our minds to the influence of the power of God, and, and we make ourselves available to hear what He wants to say to us. Maybe maybe his message to you, if you were to do this, would be just be still. Just be still. maybe maybe his message is slow down. Forget you know, being still. you need to slow down so that that isn't even so that's even a possibility. Maybe his message is to get off your dime and move. Maybe it's Quit one of your jobs, or surrender this or that, or part of your life to me. There, there, there is power in prayer, but we have to... There's this devotion to it. There's this willing to sacrifice for that to be a part of our life. It can and it must be a foundational part of our lives. In fact, these four areas, teaching and learning, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer, make a strong foundation for the Holy Spirit to work and transform in your heart and in your mind. And as this occurs as you are transformed into thinking differently and acting differently and committing to different things, it becomes an attractive difference that people see. A difference that we can't simply muster on, all on our own, I don't believe. A difference that is genuine and honest and real. I, I was having a conversation with somebody in the stands of a volleyball game a few days ago and, and uh, I had made the observation of someone being a little hypocritical in a couple things that they, they were saying. And I was sort of leaning on the side of, of criticism. Sort of caught myself in the middle of this conversation with this person. Because this person looks at me and was like, yeah, that's kind of hypocritical, isn't it? Decision to make. I could have said, yeah, that person's a real hypocrite. But actually what I did say was, you know, we're all hypocritical at some time in our life, aren't we? And she's like, oh, yeah. I mean, the whole conversation turns to sort of this honest, you know what, we're, we're all in the same boat, Really? It could have turned into a I'm better than you finger pointing session, but it didn't. It sort of turned into a conversation about, you know, this is something we all struggle with, saying one thing and doing another sometimes. Um, That that to me, um, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that's transforming my heart because, man, if there's ever, I mean, I want to be right. You know, I want to win conversations. I want to be better than other people. And there was an opportunity to sort of, and, and I don't know this, per, I mean, this person is just somebody, you know, out there. And not somebody that I know really well or anything like that, or even really any of you know really well. And I could have just, you know, nonchalantly stomped on him. But I didn't. And, and, and that's only, that's not something that I could muster on my own. Um, it's a genuine, honest, and real difference that comes from the Holy Spirit, the enabling power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Look at verse 43. It says, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. You see, um, now we're going to move into the effects of, of, those, of that devotion. Here are the things that occur in your life and in mine when, when we're devoted to, to prayer and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and to the teaching. I mean, that's what he goes on to describe is is what was happening in the church. Look, verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Prayers were being answered. People were being healed. God was moving. He was providing. They were getting boldness and powerful words and messages. We see it constantly. Peter, Paul eventually, when, when, when his life is completely transformed. Stephen, in the face of death, proclaims boldly the truth about the Messiah. They were filled with amazement. And it says in in verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Some would say this describes communism. Well, you know, this this is obviously... No, I, I think what it describes is communalism. Not that we all live in a commune, mind you, but that we all are a part of a community. It says that they had everything in common. They lived in unity as a community. And and this is actually something that I think we still see and we still experience in our neck of the woods ourselves. We do. Um, To to hear uh, Jewel Aftal's wife talk about their experience in the last four or five days with what happened um, with Jewel, it's like I, we, we just can't, we can't believe the outpouring that, that we have received from the community. And it, that, that stuff happens here still. And then, you know, I get, I, get, I get notes and things from people who I've had just brief interactions with. And they go like, you know, we couldn't believe your generosity or your willingness to, to be open to this or whatever. We just never see this in our world today anymore. It's like, wow, Really? You see it's attractively different when people experience life with someone who is being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and, and, and someone that um, you know uh, is is forgiving and loving other people, people that they disagree with, even maybe um actually living out grace and mercy. We, I mean, we are all a part of the Messiah's team. And just as the early Christians lived and struggled and worked and celebrated together, may we do the same. May we do the same. Uh, as we devote ourselves to the four foundations, these things, these things will happen. They, they will happen. I, I don't even think we have to make them happen. I mean, we, we, become, so, we become so devoted to those areas that, that, that it begins to influence our decisions on a daily basis, just like being devoted to something else. And it's always a thing, isn't it? It's weird. Uh, almost always a thing. A car or a house or something that just really, really begins to, or a relationship. It could be a relationship. But I've experienced these things. Look at verse 45. They so, you were hoping I was going to skip this one, weren't you? They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They sacrificed personally for people that were in need. They noticed people that were in need and they did what it took to help them. And there were times where that required of them to sell something that they owned to help someone else, not just secure the down payment for a brand new pickup or car for myself, but to help someone else. They took action. They sacrificed personally in order to make a difference. And I would ask this, in what ways is your family sacrificing to fill and fulfill the needs of people around you that you see on a daily basis that have need? Now, I... I recognize that there are a lot of needs in our world today. And we would all soon be overwhelmed if we tried to help every need that is before us because you don't have to look at the, the TV or your Facebook page for very long to see that there are needs out there like crazy. But, but, and, and maybe we use that as an excuse and we just say, well, I can't help everybody, so well, I'm going to help nobody. No. No, who is somebody Somebody that your family could actively, and I'm, and 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 I'm, I want to include everyone, the the kids too, the children too, younger, older, however old they are. Look, we want to involve you in how we want to live out um, our relationship with Jesus Christ, and we want to personally sacrifice for somebody that's in need, and your kids will see that, and it will change their hearts. And when we do, and now, we're not, we're not going to sacrifice so that you know we could be shown with a picture of a big check given to some organization on the front page of the Torrington Telegram either. Right? It, I'm, I'm, I'm just challenging you this morning to ask that question. Is there ways in which our family is sacrificially helping people around us who we've noticed that have some sort of need? And if not how could we? How could we? And maybe it will take selling a, a piece of property. or I mean, that is, that is some serious sacrifice. And people are going to notice it. Even if you don't intend for people to notice, they're going to notice it. Verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. They met together regularly for fellowship and worship. And are we doing that? are you doing that they were not only devoted to god they were devoted to one another they enjoyed sacrificing time and it wasn't fake it was the real deal with glad and sincere hearts it says that they did this they were in the temple courts regularly they they worshiped together regularly as we would do on a sunday morning they continued to meet they joined one another in their homes And they enjoyed it. All the wives are thinking, oh, no way we're going to do that on a regular basis. Because all of that work falls on me. I know, I've had this conversation before. Well, husbands, we need to stand up and we need to help. They joined one another together in their homes, and they enjoyed it. And all the while, they were praising God. He was real to them. They didn't just talk about superficial things. They talked about real life things, genuinely. They, they experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives on a daily basis, and they talked about it. And in the end, Luke records that the Lord added to their number every day. Every day. Every day. Wouldn't it be cool to hear something about somebody believing, surrendering their life to Jesus Christ for the first time every day? Ah, day? You're thinking, wow, that, that would take a miracle. yeah. And I just happen to know somebody that's into miracles. They devoted themselves, made themselves available to be used by God, and he took a hold of them and he he impacted their world. Now, are you a devoted and willing instrument in the hand of God? Or has life sort of sucked you in or have you given in to life and you're so busy that you don't know whether you're coming or going, let alone giving of yourself sacrificially to any of the four devotions? so that the effects of those things could show forth in uh, your life. But you know, when that happens, um, and it starts with surrendering our life to Jesus Christ, that is the starting point. And then and, and he begins to empower our life. People will see, and it will be attractively different to people. And the Lord will add to our number those who are being saved. I believe he will. I believe it. Do you believe it? Now, I opened today's message talking about Christmas, and I want to close with talking about Christmas. See, when Jesus Christ was about to die, he prayed a prayer in front of the disciples, and here's what he said. He's praying to his father, and he says, you sent me into the world. That's Christmas. That's Christmas. Jesus Christ coming into the world. He was born as a human being placed in a manger. And he says, you sent me into the world. Then he says, so for their sake, I sanctify myself. Now, Tim Keller says this about that. He says, that word sanctify is a word that means I devote myself. You sent me into the world, Father, to give myself away for their sake. And that's exactly what he did. He gave himself away for your sake and for my sake. When Jesus was born into the world, when he left all of his greatness and all of his power behind, what was happening at Christmas? He was giving himself away. He was taking his hands off his life. He was devoting himself. He was emptying himself of his glory so he could become beautiful. He was becoming of no reputation so we could have a name with God for all eternity. He was losing all love including the father's love he was rejected by everybody so we could be loved by God and live in love with God and with others forever because he took the punishment that we deserved for our own selfishness and our own pride Now when Jesus Christ did this and Christians came to understand that he did this do you know what that meant Christians realized for the first time in history, and by the way, for the last time, there was a faith coming and saying, this is ultimate reality. This is now the new thing. This is the way it is. This is, this is the truth. No other religion before or since, no other philosophy has ever said that God gave himself away, that the heart of ultimate reality is to not hold on to your power, not hold on to your wealth, not hold on to your glory, but give it away. Give yourself away to other people. Give yourself away for others. Where else but in Christ's church do you hear that message? I mean, even in other religions where it's all about works based, it's, it's for your behalf that you, you are engaged in those things, not for God's. See, if God did this at Christmas, we need to see that as a radical move, as, as a radical move as it was. And that God would come to this earth and become weak and mortal and die on the cross to atone for our sins if he would devote himself and give himself. A way and that way, that's, that's radical, and that changed everything. It, cha- it absolutely changed everything. To lay aside, and, 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 then, and then we come along, and we have this decision to make. Am I going to, to, to be devoted? Am I going to lay aside my glory, and my honor, and my interests? I mean, that's the heart of what Jesus did at Christmas. And it's not just some sort of thing that we should muster to have, you know, in the spirit of Christmas. This giving and sacrificing. When they understood the reality of Christmas, they began to practice Christmas on a daily basis. Now, I stopped short of closing today with a Christmas carol I want you to know. (laughs) I really wanted to. But you see, the first Christians brought ideals into the world that no one had ever heard of before because of that first Christmas, because of what Jesus did. And we, my friends, live in a culture today in many ways have not heard or seen these things themselves. Of course, we think, well, you know, we live in the age of technology, right? Come on, Caleb, let's close the service with a, a final song. They, we live in the age of technology, right? I mean, everybody, of course everybody's heard. No, they haven't. They haven't experienced it either. And we need to step out of the selfishness and, and the way of living that our culture has sucked us into and we need to say, you know what? It was possible for those in the first church. It's just as possible for us today. And maybe today you take that first step. Maybe today you make that first commitment of devotion and you say, I'm going to sacrifice. Pick one of the four. I mean, we can all review our lives right and go, well, I'm pretty weak in that one. We'll pick that one and say, okay, Lord, I want to submit to your Holy Spirit, transform my life in this area. Let's take a step forward. Maybe it's one of the effects that you were, um, you were moved in, in your heart and in your mind with. It's like, wow, man, I had an opportunity to do that the other day, and I didn't do it. You know what? Seize the next one. Seize the next one. Let's live our lives attractively different in the same way that the first followers of Christ did. Let's close. Thank you, Brady, for joining us in this final song. Can we all stand? Let's all stand, and let's uh, sing this last song, which is a celebration.